We're going to be in Nehemiah. Nehemiah. If you want to turn there, we're going to be dealing with the first three verses. And as you're turning there, let me say a couple of uh, things to you. If I've not met you, my name is Dustin Neely. I'm the lead pastor and church planner of this flock, and we are glad to have you with us. And normally we teach through books of the Bible. Uh, This summer we've bounced around a little bit, but we are getting back in the groove, God willing, for this fall. And so we'll be working through the book of Nehemiah. And so today what I want to do, this will be different. Uh, Normally we just take a big chunk of scripture and work through it. Today we're only going to handle the first three verses, but I need to introduce us to the book. And I think this will be helpful to us both as individuals and as a church (coughs) for a whole host of reasons. But one of which is it speaks so much to where we are in our historical moment, both as individuals and as families and as a church. Because what God calls this man Nehemiah to do is a very significant, significant and difficult work. And it is to be constructed, he's going to rebuild a wall, and we'll talk about that, under very, very difficult circumstances. And that's pretty much what we're all laboring under both as individuals and as a church. Uh, It's a hard season. It's a hard season for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I think we all hope that we were almost done with this pandemic. It's pretty obvious the pandemic is not done with us. And so we continue to labor. Uh, But the word is, the word has to still go out. The gospel still has to get preached. The nations still have to be reached. So we will, like Nehemiah, do what God has called us to do, in the midst of some difficult circumstances. Uh, Also, in the history of our church, as in the history of most churches in the United States, there is a lot of churn. People going out, people coming in. In fact, this historical moment uh, actually now has a name. Some of you guys are familiar with the work of Ed Stetzer. He's a missiologist, uh, former pastor and church planter, uh, also happens to be a friend of mine. He's calling this season that the North American church is in the great sort because of all the churn that is happening and we are experiencing that just like everybody else (coughs) so we're going to look at Nehemiah and the Lord is going to help us both as individuals and as a church and as families so what I want to do is I want to talk about these three verses and I want to introduce us a bit to the book. So I'm going to give you the introductory material up front, and then we'll spend some time talking about the verses. So let's start with this. Who wrote this book? Well, it was written by a man named Nehemiah and also a man named Ezra, and we'll have more to say about both of them as we go along. When and why was it written? It was written in 445 to 432 BC, somewhere between those periods, and most of the action takes place in Jerusalem. It was written largely for historical and educational purposes, uh, but because of the nature of its content, it has an audience far beyond that. It has helped countless pastors over the years. It has helped countless leaders, coaches, stay-at-home moms, retirees, everybody from wherever they are at their station in life. And it helps them through two lenses. On the human side of things, we're going to see a whole host of principles that deal with leadership and vision and so on and so forth. We're going to see the importance of prayer. We're going to see the importance of perseverance. We're going to see how to do something that looks crazy in the light of normal human circumstances. 
But then also we're going to see it through the divine lens because Nehemiah got to see what only God can do. And that's what we pray for every week, what only God can do. And so we get to see (coughs) basically through two lenses here. You look through the human lens, you see all these great truths. You look through the divine lens and you see what only God can do. And let me also say this, part of how you're going to get the most out of this book is you've got to look at it through both lenses. If you only look at the human, you're shortchanging yourself and you're shortchanging how the Spirit inspired this. If you only see the divine, well, that's better than only seeing the human, but there really are some wonderful truths that need to be uncovered here. So the approach that we will take is the the glasses approach, looking through it through both lenses. (coughs) And of course, this is also a significant book in redemptive history because it is going to talk to us about the temple and uh, how God interacted with his people during this phase of redemptive history through the temple and we can exult in the fact that we do not have to deal with the temple at all today. So let me give you some help on how to get the most out of this study. First thing I would say, we got to read it the right way. We just talked about that. The second thing I would say (coughs) is you need to prepare before you get here. Prepare before you get here. And that is laboring under this assumption that repetition leads to retention. You say that with me? Repetition leads to retention. So if you read it at home, maybe you listen to it on the ESV app, then you come here, you hear it, whether it's David or myself or someone else teaching, then you go talk about it in community group, and then you study it on your own. Goodness, by the time we get to the end of this book, Think about how many times you will have had contact and interaction with these inspired texts. There's no way the Lord is not going to radically change us through this study together. (coughs) So that being said, let's talk about these three verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the capital, that Hanani... One of my brothers came in with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, (coughs) and its gates are destroyed by fire. So a couple things to know about Nehemiah here. He's just a guy. He is an ordinary man. He is not a religious professional. And what we're going to find out next week is he had a pretty rough job. He was the cupbearer to the king. And what a cupbearer was, uh, this sounds to me pretty much like the worst job in the history of the world. But it was his job to taste the food and the wine of the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And so basically the chef, the cook, whoever would bring it out. Nehemiah would taste it. If he didn't die, the king would eat it. If he died, the king wouldn't eat it. So you think your job's bad and your boss is bad, probably not that much. So it is what it is, (coughs) but he was strategically and sovereignly placed there by God, and we'll see what happens uh, in the weeks to come. But one little principle you can write down here if you're a note taker, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that is certainly true in the case of Nehemiah. He's just a guy, and God does, uses him to, does, to do an amazing work. <clears throat> that should encourage all of us. 
because that's who we are, right? We're just men. We're just women. And <coughs> we are trusting that the Lord will use us in a profound way. Let me also say this. Never underestimate the power of one man or woman to make a significant difference. Never underestimate the power of one man or woman to make a significant difference. And I got to be honest, as a child of the 80s, when I say a phrase like that, I can't help but think of Knight Rider. Some of you guys remember this. Some of you guys were born after Knight Rider was on TV, which is terrifying to me as a dude in his 40s. But it is true. But there was a show that basically it was David Hasselhoff. Everybody knows who the Hoff is, right? Don't hassle the Hoff. You've seen him on YouTube, I'm sure. Well, before he was a cartoon of himself, he was an actor. And basically, he had this gig where he talked to this car. It was this high-tech piece of thing, and the car's name was Kit. Kit would talk to him, and they would do all these different things and save orphans and save oil rig workers and fight, uh, let's see, what else, uh, like a semi-truck that shot missiles. If you've never seen this show from the 80s, it is like campy, non-superhero, ordinary guy doing extraordinary things, a gold. I mean, I'm a fan. And because of Netflix, I've seen literally every episode there is. And I'm sad and joyous to admit that. But here's the truth, and here's why I'm bringing this up. Nehemiah is kind of like that. Because there's a line in Knight Rider where it says, believing that one man can make a difference. <laughs> and then there's like all this, you know, sketchy music that plays in the background. But the point is, is here's this, this guy, no real training, no real skills, and he changes the world. And that's who Nehemiah is. And so again, as we hear this week after week after week, as you hear about Nehemiah, I want you to think, you know, that could be me too. Working my job, living around my neighbors, staying at home with my kids, just going about my life, trying to be faithful, and God can use even me. Because friends, even the fact that Nehemiah is in the mix here is just a picture of grace. One man, one woman can make a real and significant difference. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in thinking, oh, I got to change the world. Let's be honest, I've lived long enough to know you and I, we're probably not going to change the world. But if we change the world in which we live, and we make a significant impact in one or two students that are under our care as a tutor or a teacher, or three or four employees that we're responsible for as a team lead, or a, a, a church of people. Friends, you are not wasting your life. God has silently and sovereignly superintended that you would be here in this moment to hear this series of messages and we need to be faithful. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses men and women to make a world of difference. And that's what he wants for you. And if he didn't want that, well, then you wouldn't be here. But because of his sovereign grace, he has drawn you here this morning to hear this encouragement. And Nehemiah is going to help us. Now, let me also say this. If, if you look back in your text there, look at the second part of verse 1. <clears throat> now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. I was in Susa, the capital. Now, these details here, and this is going to be the case with many things that we're going to learn. 
<coughs> in this book. They're not just throwaways. Every single word in the Bible is inspired. And so part of what we have here is detail that shows us this is not a fable. This is not historical fiction. This is not 1776 by David McCulloch or whatever. This is actual factual history. And when we read this, we need to be reminded of that. I point this out to us almost every year when it comes to looking at the Christmas story because the same thing is true. That the details that we have here in the scriptures, they mean what they mean, but they, and they also point us to a greater truth. And we are reading actual history when we look at this. And what is it that, that happens here in verse 2 flowing from this actual history? Look at it. That Hanani, one of his brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So he's got this little coterie of individuals that have shown up to him. He's talking to him, And he asks them a question. He says, concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. Now let me give you a little backstory here. This will be familiar to many, but not to all. And here at Refuge, we don't make any assumptions. This is a place where most people are following Jesus and have been for quite some time. But this is a place where anybody can come in. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, We'll meet you where you are. We'll start asking and answering questions together. And we want you to meet Jesus in the way that the rest of us have met Jesus. And so what, what I'm referring to here is this backstory about this group called the Jews. <coughs> God had a chosen people in the Old Testament. It was a tiny little insignificant nation of Israel. They had really nothing going for them, kind of like Nehemiah. And God called them out and he said, I will be your people or I will be your God and you will be my people. And so their relationship kind of went like this. It was like big time roller coaster throughout all of the Old Testament. Most of the time they were wandering away. And in order to get their attention and bring them back when they wouldn't listen to any of the prophets that God had sent, he would allow these other nations to basically take them over and they would be in various states of captivity, and that's exactly what had happened here. So their kingdom had been split in two, and one half was under the thumb of the Assyrians, the other half was under the thumb of the Babylonians. And the Jews from Jerusalem had been living in exile in Babylon, and Jerusalem was a big deal. It was kind of their capital, but it was more than that. It was the city of God. It was where the temple was, it was where uh, they were to connect with God at that point in redemptive history. And what had happened at this point, we'll pick it back up to verse 3. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, so not everybody had made it, but, but some of them had, and, and they were in Jerusalem. But what, look at this phrase here. It says, is in great trouble and shame. And then he defines what that looks like. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, we don't really have a parallel like this in our day. Because when we hear something like a wall is broken down, what does that sound like? It sounds like you went to grandma's and the retaining wall for the pressure of 150 years had fallen over and everybody's like, well, we might fix that, we might not. That's not the way it was at this time. So, at this time in history, these cities had to be fortified with walls. 
because if they weren't, the other cities around them, it was basically like a warlike marauding kind of culture, they would come over and they would just basically climb over the heaps of what used to be the wall and they would take all your stuff, kill all your people, take your children away. So for them to not have a wall, and this had gone on for I think 140 years, they really were in great trouble and shame. But there wasn't just a practical problem with not having this wall. There was also a spiritual problem with not having this wall. Because around this city, this wall also protected the temple. And if they had let it go for 140 years, they were basically functionally saying, listen, the relationship that we once had and enjoyed with the God of the Bible, it's just not important. It's not a priority. And the fact that we've never even worked to repair this gives evidence of that. So let me give you just a little side principle. Sometimes the externals in our life reveal what is going on with the internal in our lives. That was certainly true with these Israelites. They just didn't really care about the wall, which meant they just didn't really care about their relationship with the God of the Bible. And I think that we would be wise and circumspect to take a step back and go, hmm, are there any places or areas in my life where that might be true? That there's a sin on the outside that is really the tip of the iceberg. And there's a sin on the inside that needs to be dealt with in some way. Just a couple of examples. You know, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And sometimes I can chart where I am in kind of intimacy in my relationship with God by what comes out of my mouth. And it's not always a good thing. And when I hear myself sound negative or complaining or saying things that I'm like, why did I say that? That is a reminder to me. You know what? The external often reveals the internal. And I need to deal with that. And I need to get to the bottom of why is it that I'm thinking and operating and reacting in this way? I was upset about this, but I'm really something else is going on. And you know what? I bet I'm not alone in that. And there's a lot of other ways you can look at the external and figure out what's going on with the internal. Another one is how, how we spend money. I remember in my... Uh, the, uh, years and years ago when I began to uh, regularly invest in gospel ministry. Most people would call that tithing. And I remember in the early days when I started down that road, it was like I could not pry the money out of my cold, dead hand. I mean, it was crazy. But you know what? That really wasn't about money. Money was just the external that was revealing the internal. What was it really about? It was about the fact that I didn't trust God to provide for my family. Because if I gave this money away, what if no more money comes in? The external revealed the internal. And there are plenty of other examples like that in our lives. So I think part of what we need to do today is listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to us right now through this idea? And then let's tease that out in community group. Let's tease that out in the smaller groups in which we meet for discipleship. And let's see what the Lord is saying to us here. 
Because just like the external broken wall revealed the internal spiritual poverty of Israel, the same can be true for us today. Now, a couple more things I want to point out here as well. Also, I mentioned this, but let me just uh, uh, point this out, that in the midst of all this history, the fact that Nehemiah was in this place, in Susa, in the capital, literally next to the king, is not an accident. You're going to have to come back next week and hear exactly what happens because of his strategic placement. But again, don't lose sight of this. And the final thing I want to point out here from the text, and then I want to talk about how this gets us to the gospel, is kind of the big picture (coughs) idea of how these folks ended up in such a mess in the first place. They didn't listen to God. He spoke to them. He fed them in the wilderness. He did all these different things. He sent prophets, and they were like, yeah, we're good. And how did that turn out for them? It was a disaster. But God loves his people, and he will use bad circumstances to lead us back to him. Now, does that mean that every bad circumstance we find ourselves in is some kind of discipline from God? Of course not. The world is irreparably broken. Not everything that happens is, I'm trying to get your attention. But I tell you, if we're paying attention, any situation, good or bad, should turn our attention back to God. Because when we are really living in the right direction, and of course none of us can do this perfectly, but that doesn't mean we don't try, our communion with God should be an unbroken thread that runs in and out of our times of corporate worship and in and out of our times of private devotion. And we're just in this conversational relationship with God and and we want to hear the word and we want to serve people. And when we sin, we don't wait three weeks to, to confess and repent. We immediately do so because we don't want our fellowship with God and with his people hijacked. That's the way it ought to be. That's what we want. That's the the direction we need to move. That's why showing up at church is important. Because every week, all week long, we are inundated with messages that basically say the opposite of what God says here. And we're pulled in the other direction like a great rising tide. But when we come back here on Sunday, we're like, yep, this is true. This is what I really believe. These are people that believe these truths. But from their story, let's take a cautionary reminder that disobedience does lead to discipline. Disobedience does lead to discipline. And for those of you who have small kids still in the home, goodness, I hope you've already connected these dots. Because we did 10,000, probably more, things wrong as parents but one thing that I'm thankful someone invested in me very early when our kids were very small is to make sure that small children in particular understand this connection that sin hurts it hurts God it hurts others it hurts you and because God loves us he uses discipline of various kinds to bring 
us back. And so part of our parenting and shepherding of these children that the Lord has entrusted to us is to help them understand that. And part of looking at this story here that these people had been taken over by these other uh, warring nations and were in such disrepair. They were being disciplined and God was bringing them back. And he's going to use Nehemiah as an integral part of bringing them back. But my hope for us is that we wouldn't wander off in the first place. It is always better to stay close to the Father than have to be brought back. Will he bring you back? Of course. He loves you. But it's always better if you can stay close in the first place. So let's learn from them and let's lean in to Jesus. Now speaking of Jesus, how do we get to Jesus through the book of Nehemiah? Because I'll go ahead and disappoint us up front. He's not going to be mentioned by name specifically. But that's not a problem because of where this book falls in the canon. See, the Bible is like a unfolding flower. And as the story of redemption goes on, the flower opens more and more and more and things get clearer and clearer and clearer. But for where they were here, the way I want us to think about it is like this. Everything that we're going to learn about Nehemiah reminds us of everything that we love about Jesus. Everything we're going to learn about Nehemiah reminds us of everything we love about Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of examples here. You can look back in your text there. So if you think about Nehemiah, this one man who makes a world of difference, friends, that's clearly true of him, but can you not see the parallel to the Lord Jesus? You talk about one man who made a difference. There was no one man before, after, or never will be that was like the Lord Jesus. No one else could ever come and live a perfect life, die a substitute's death, and gloriously rise again to save anyone who would put their faith and trust in Christ. There just isn't. Jesus is entirely unique in that way. And Nehemiah points us to that Jesus. Nehemiah made his difference. Jesus made the ultimate difference. Another way to think about this is Nehemiah is a lowercase h hero that points us to the capital H hero of the Lord Jesus. Nehemiah participates in what God is doing and Jesus was the embodiment of what God is doing. How about another one here? You can tell from what is said, but also some foreshadowing that Nehemiah responded to great need. You can just tell by the way the language ends there in verse 3 that something is about to happen. The, the words that he uses, the wall is broken down, the gates are destroyed by fire, there's great trouble and shame. You can just tell Nehemiah is going to spring into action. And friends, isn't that exactly what the Lord Jesus did? He saw us in our plight, in the greatest trouble, in the greatest shame, when not just the wall of our Jerusalem was broken down, but it was completely destroyed by fire, and we were on the way to fire, and Jesus steps in as the ultimate hero 
and he saves us. So Nehemiah is great, but Jesus is even greater. And friend, that's the way we're going to get the most out of this book. We got to look through it both lenses of our glasses. We got to learn these principles about vision and prayer and how to persevere under extreme circumstances, but we have to do that in the strength that God provides. We got to benefit from seeing this wonderful, persevering leader, but we have to look through him to see the ultimate persevering leader. Everything we'll learn about Nehemiah points us to everything we love about Jesus. So let me close this message by asking this simple but significant question. What is God saying to you today through this passage? Through this simple introduction as we're simply setting the stage for that which is to come. Is he speaking to you about the externals that reveal the internal? Is he speaking to you about discipline leading you back to intimacy with him? Is he encouraging you through the fact that one man or woman can make a difference? Or is he simply just reminding you of the greatness and the glory of God revealed to us in Christ to which Nehemiah points? Whatever it is that the Spirit is saying to us now, let's listen. And let's respond in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have had together in your word. We thank you that you are speaking to us even now. Lord, we pray in advance for the weeks that lie ahead. We pray that we would be responsive to your word today and in the days to come. We pray that we would be informed, transformed by your word. That we'd be conformed to the image of Christ by your word. That you would lead us out on the Great Commission because of what we have talked about today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.